read through the book of Acts, and, um, and, and, and what we're doing in this series is slowing down. We're going to take as long as it takes. I'll be honest with you, I wrote this message, and I don't think I'm going to finish it. it it's, so you'll have to come back again next week and hear the third part, probably, of Peter's sermon. Um, but what we want to do is we want to just literally, why, why rush? Why rush through Scripture? Let's take our time. Let's digest it. Let's take it and let God do what He does through the work of the Spirit and make this come alive in our heart. And so let's, uh, let's if you could, uh, just to prepare you, you can open up to Acts chapter 3, verses 17 is where we'll start. But I want to let you know this series is about the church age. This series is about, really, about how Jesus inaugurated the age of the church. We're living in the church age now. We are in chapter 2100 of the church age. The day will come where the church age ends, and we will see a different era. But as of now, we are in it. We are living in its light of this church age. But when it comes to an end, it comes abruptly. The time where people can call out on Christ's name and receive forgiveness and receive and, and repent and turn comes to an end. Here it is in Thessalonians, uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. It's not on the screen, but I'll read it to you. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. And with the trumpet of God, and, uh, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Jesus is coming this way, death to life. And so Peter begins to preach this message, and he kind of preaches in a way that you'd feel like, whoo, he's really, you, have you ever heard a preacher kind of just really just give it, to, give it to the congregation like in a way of conviction where it's like, ooh, and you kind of squirm in your seat. This is what's happening. So he starts to talk about, listen, you were all there when Jesus was delivered up. Even the rulers, these Roman pagan rulers, even recognized what, what was happening and what you were asking for was wrong. Because he said, listen, I would like to release Jesus. And you said, give us the murderer instead, Barabbas. And they all cheered for that and then used Rome by proxy to kill Jesus. And so none of them are innocent. But they're going about their regular day worshiping at the temple when they literally, Peter says, you killed the author of life, the very Messiah that was given to you, that you've been waiting for, anticipating, hoping for, calling out to God, and you missed him. Last week we talked about being unashamed to share the gospel because all the people start gathering around. The service stops at the temple and thousands gather around because they know this man who is now leaping in front of them. A miracle has happened. you got to pay attention. And Peter in that moment, which was the encouragement last week, was to encourage you when the moment arises, right? There's the moment that happens, there's a miracle that happens, then there's momentum that happens, and then you must deliver the message. And so we see in this moment, Peter steps up and delivers the message, which is the gospel. We ourselves must remember those moments. I titled this message, Moments of Decision. 
Because the rest of the sermon is where we get to decision. The rest of the sermon, the first sermon, part of the sermon was deep conviction. The second part of the service was grace. Confronted with their depravity and humanity, but the beauty of the gospel is there's grace in light of our sin. Have you ever heard a truth and you followed it? Your spouse, no doubt, has told you some truths about yourself that you didn't believe, but they were true. And you're like, man, that's true. I need to work on that change, right? Rick Pierce, yeah, I saw you nod your head. Yes, you did. Yeah, he did. And, and, and I think that there's moments like that. If you remember, when someone confronted you with the truth or you were faced with the truth and you followed it, what was the fruit? Always, you can think about it. The fruit is life and it's freedom. But have you ever heard a truth? But you decide not to follow that truth. You can walk the fruit right out. Our pride will stop us from hearing the truth. We will find ourselves trapped into the same cycle that, that ignoring the truth brings us into. And then we're stuck. This is what they're faced with in this moment. They're faced with, do I accept this truth that's confronting me and change? Or do I not? happens all the time. I used to be a lot like this. Um, I don't know if you're like this, but when, when someone would really upset me and make me mad, I had this thing I would do. It was just maybe just a way of just survival, I guess. I, and someone would be like, dude, that was really rude what that person said to you. I'm like, ah, it's not a big deal. Oh, but it was a big deal. Because I was plotting their demise in my head, you know, how I would do it. But I would, it's not a big deal, right? But I was, I was brought with something. It convicted my heart, or at least hurt my heart, but I would just go on ignoring it, and I would say things like, no worries, no worries, no worries. Do you relate? But you cannot brush off conviction, especially from Scripture, and especially the Gospel. You cannot brush it off. It is not going anywhere. It is not something that when you feel the tug of the Spirit on your heart, you cannot brush it off. You must embrace it and accept that. You cannot brush off the convictions of the gospel and say, oh, it's, but you know what, that's just kind of, you know, whatever. Or when scripture is confronting you, like, oh, yeah, but, you know, maybe, maybe it's not that big of a deal. You cannot. It is doing its work in your heart. So let's read this section, and then we'll get into it. We're going to start, oh, I'm going to sit down to read. This is a little bit of a passage here. I discovered I'm getting old last week when I have to remove my glasses to read. Oh, boy. Okay, verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. And here is where the grace comes. As did your rulers. But what God foretold from the mouths of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus Fulfilled. We're going to get into all of this. Repent, therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him. 
listen to him in whatever he tells you. It, it, it shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets have spoken from Samuel, those who came after him, also proclaiming these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God has raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you. By turning every one of you from your wickedness. Chapter 4 is we're going to see this response. And, they kept, and as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came up upon them greatly annoyed because of they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, and they put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. It, it, it's the first of the arrests, but it will not be the last. These men and women will suffer greatly for the name of Christ to preach Freedom to people. We're going to see in this, uh, we're going to see these six R's, because they just worked out perfectly for six R's, so you can remember them, that are within almost every sermon and are within this sermon itself. And when the gospel is being preached, you will hear these R's throughout any time the gospel is being preached. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, we ask that what we heard today from your scripture and what we dive in today, God, that not one of us will walk out the same, God, that we will think differently. We will have a conviction about your word and about the gospel. And first and foremost, God, is that this gospel must go. Go to the world around us. During the light of the church age because the world is dying and in need of a savior. God, I ask that none of us leave without that burning sensation almost to the point of weeping for the lost because they are lost and they are hurting. And we all know what it was like before you, Jesus. And God, help us bring this to the world like Peter Amen. The first thing you're going to see what Peter is doing here is he is asking them to rethink. The gospel, when it's preached, it, it brings someone to rethink their life. They want to rethink it. I think the gospel confronts our past and our present behaviors and beliefs. When it is, when it is preached, when it is heard, what the Spirit does in conviction, it confronts your past and it confronts your present. Ultimately, change your future. Let's read this in verse 17. Let's go back, and it says, And brothers, you know that, uh, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. Ignorance is this way it's being said here in this scripture. It means an ignorance or a lack of knowledge that is damaging. There's ignorance. Like my daughter who is here, which I must say this, one time she asked, and I have to do it to you, honey. Sorry, you shouldn't have been in service today. I, she asked, like, can you get a suntan from being around a bonfire? And we had to say, honey, no, that's not how it works. 
And it was okay. We all laughed. It was fun. And I just thought about it like, oh, wow, she really thought that. So she was probably very much tanning herself around fire pits. But I think like, okay, that's just general. She didn't know yet, didn't have the, the class yet that taught about the sun and its rays. This is not what Peter is talking about, that type of just ignorance to something or not, not knowing something. He's talking about something that is so damaging by not knowing it. By not knowing the truth, by not knowing who the Messiah was, was damaging to them. And ultimately, by not knowing, they put him up on the cross. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 says this, when we're talking about ignorance or a way of the rulers of the thinking of people. Yet among the mature, we do not impart wisdom, although it is, is, not, is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. No matter how smart they sound, no matter how great these rulers were, they missed it. It was something spiritual. It says, whom these people are doomed to pass away. Verse 7, but we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, the mystery of the gospel, which God decreed before the ages for his glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They missed it. I think I would have missed it. Right? They were not in tune to what was happening. They missed it. Spiritually, they missed it, or they wouldn't have done it. But it's interesting because we would think, well, well, yeah, well, they should be held accountable, right, for that. They're the no, 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 because they should have known better. I mean, they, they, all these prophecies. No, 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 no. Because if you think that, then you don't read Acts chapter seventeen, where Acts chapter seventeen, Paul is speaking to completely pagan people in Athens, some of the greatest minds in the world, and he's given a sermon, and guess what he says at the very end of that? The day of ignorance is done, because the truth is now revealed. You can no longer go by that. It doesn't matter whether you were very privy to all the prophecies, or you had just heard. It doesn't matter. You are now accountable to the truth. The time for repentance is now. The truth is in plain sight. This is what he's saying. It's out. You cannot unknow what you know. You know what? I had a hard time when I, I always loved to debate with people. I don't know if you like, I love to kind of use a, a, like little ways to win my argument. But then Google came along and ruined all my fun. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'll be in the middle of trying to describe that this person had this and this and this in their stats or something. And then somebody, oh, wait, wait, let me just Google that. And I'm like, oh, Google. You can't unknow what you know. And this is like the small little thing with Google with me is what Christ has done in the revelation of the gospel to the world. You cannot unknow. The truth is in plain sight. You now have to make a decision. Verse 18, it says, But when God foretold by the mouths of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, thus fulfilled. Now, listen, I printed this out. I, I attached this document to uh, my notes, so Taylor has them. I'll have her publish them. Um, but this is 11 pages of prophecies. The, the passage of which the prophecy was given, the prophecy itself, and the scripture of which it was fulfilled through Christ. There's 351 of them. 
And what I want to let you know is that it's extensive, but it's worth reading through all of these. You will see a very big glimpse of the very foretelling of God through all of his prophets that the Christ was going to come and suffer and fulfill it all. We're in the last days. The moment Christ suffered, we are in the last days. It's, we're part of salvation history. But it was inaugurated by Christ's suffering, is what the Bible says. Now, of these prophecies, there's, there's Psalm 22. If you read Psalms 22, it's very prophetic to the Messiah. And we, there's certain parts we love to read, but there is one passage. I, I was reading the chapter, and I kept going, ooh, this is like real. This is for real of Christ's suffering. And this is through David, through the Spirit. And now we, most people know, probably in the community that day, knew this was about the coming Messiah. And this is the mentality of what Christ was being treated as as he suffered. Listen to this. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads and they say, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. He delights in him, doesn't he? This is what Jesus experienced on the cross. Why don't you, have, why don't you, why don't you come down from that cross? Right? If you're God, why die up there? Jesus experienced great suffering for us. And beyond the words, he was betrayed. He was abandoned, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was shamed on that cross, being crucified naked in front of his family, and then he was cast off. Christ suffered for our sins for a reason. Sin, its thirst demanded the greatest sacrifice, and so God gave it. You know... These listeners that are hearing Peter preach, these listeners, they cheered that suffering on. They, some of them actually made it happen who were in this crowd, that priest, chief priest, the temple, the, the, the temple uh, uh, officer, and the Sadducees. But when we read this about rethinking our life, when we hear the gospel, when we hear scripture, um, I have to ask, you have to ask a question, this, does the word or the gospel make you rethink your life when it is confronting you? It should rethink our lives, our priorities, what we care about, how we orient our life around the word. Does it make us rethink what matters, what doesn't matter? Eternity or just living for now? But the second part of this message you're going to see, he's calling them to rethink. But then he calls to repentance. That this is where the grace comes in, is that you can turn. God's grace allows conviction, right? His grace allows conviction with a path to redemption. God doesn't just come in and convict and condemn. He allows the path of grace, of redemption. 
And I think that's the beautiful thing about God sometimes we can overlook is that he, we, we, people would say, oh, God, he's just waiting to strike me down. No, no, no. God is trying to convict, to change, and he has op offered you an opportunity, an off-ramp to redemption. That's the grace of God, and he did it through Jesus. Our world does not hold that view, right? The path to, once you're convicted, a path of redemption and restoration it doesn't do it very well. But guess who should do it really well is believers. Because if God did it, we should be about it. A path of redemption, but with conviction. Verse 19, repent, therefore turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. And here's what he's saying. This is one of the best parts of the entire sermon. But he's saying, you're in sin. Your chance is now, and it's here. And you're going the wrong way. But God will wipe that clean. Delete it permanently. And he's just letting them know that the moment is here. It can change your whole life. Blotted out in this way. It's used all kinds of different ways. When you do a word study on blotted out, there's times where God literally will blot people's names out of the book of life. Deleted permanently. Speaking through Isaiah. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Because I want to be with you. I will not remember your sins. I think when we go, come before God and we're supposed to come boldly before God. It's, it's that statement we should remember when we crawl our way before God and we go, oh, dear God. When I liked how Jessica prayed a minute ago where she called him Father God. I like that. Because she, she stands boldly before God knowing her sin has been blotted out. But do you hear the message of forgiveness for you and do you turn around? They were being called to turn in the direction of which they were going. So we see rethinking, we see repenting in this sermon, call to repentance, but we also see a renewal, a promise of something better, and not just in recognizing your sin and asking God to forgive you, but a renewal that's promised with it, a refreshing. Jesus inaugurated a time of salvation, and one day he will restore all of creation. But right now, salvation is through humanity to each other. Verse 20, And the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed to you as a promise that was given to you, that it would be through your people, and you would be the first to receive him. Even though you missed it, and then you killed him, he was given for you. A time of refreshing I think about that word refreshing, and I don't mean about like putting on some deodorant type of refreshing. This is a time of where you have been running and running and running and waiting and waiting, and you've had these ups and downs and ups and downs, these people of this time who he's speaking to, and the moment of refreshing comes to you. You can rest now. Your Messiah has arrived. I love that. No more waiting. You can finally rest. 
It's like, it's like I, I've never been to war. Some of you have. And maybe you can speak to this better than me. But when I read historically through war, the people who come home or the people who war came to their territory, they, there's a time of absolute disaster and fear and worry and death and pain. And then after the war is done... There's a time of rebuilding and refreshing. You can build your life. You can have your community. You can plan ultimately for the future because during the war, it's unknown, and now there's a future. This is what's happening here. It's a time of renewal. You can have a life in your future, and you're secure for eternity. You're safe. I... Uh, I think about this renewal and this refreshing. He's not only talking about this, but in Psalms 107, 9, speaking of God, it says, He, for He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. And then Jesus double downs on it and says, He's here to do this and more, which is in John 14, 4, uh, 4 14. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a fount of water spring. Bringing up an eternal life, he doubled down on that and said, not only that, but you'll never thirst, you'll never be hungry again. Renewal, renewal. This is what the gospel promises us. You were once dead spiritually, you thirsted in hunger and for fulfillment, but you will no longer need to do that. You will be fulfilled. Verse 21 in the sermon, Jesus, 20, uh, Jesus Goes on to say, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things. This is the restoration. About which God spoke from the mouths of the holy prophets long ago. You probably have never thought about this this way, but you are Jesus' successors. The church is, are Jesus' successors as his witnesses for what he's done for renewal, refreshing, change, and ultimately for restoration. You should hold that weight on your shoulders and realize what a gift it is to be a successor and a witness to him. But he uh, will close this age as we're witnessing, and he will then one day restore all things. And it's kind of weird because we pray that, that as it be on earth as it is in heaven, but one day heaven and earth will be interchangeable, and God himself will be among his people as creation that he intended to make. So there is renewal in that promise of, of it. But none of this, none of this lands home until you know what the word says. This is why it's so important to read your Bible. I don't want to sound like that guy who just says, you need to read your Bible. I, I don't think it's a checking a box. You're reading the Bible because this is where you are fed spiritually. This is where when Peter is preaching, he's quoting Old Testament truths and scriptures because they're in ingrained in his heart. This book is not a manual on how to live a good, nice, happy life and then be blessed and highly favored. It is not about that. The book is about letting these living words be used by the Spirit to radicalize and change your life in a powerful way. So it's revelation. He begins to talk about the revelation that they should all see. Scriptural truths are revealed through the revelation by the Spirit. 
Have you ever read the Bible and you're not thinking about the Bible, you're thinking about other things and you're just reading and, and next thing you know, you're like, I just read a whole bunch of stuff and I did not even comprehend what I just read, right? Have you ever been there? That's not how the Bible should be read. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just not. It, it's not to feel good about today. It's not about the verse of the day. This is about sitting down and saying, God, do your work through me in this scripture. Speak to me what you want to speak to me. You may have read it a hundred times, but this is what I love about the word. Because whatever's happening in your life, I, I love this analogy. I've always heard it's like a gem, and you just turn it a little bit. And I don't know what's happening in that moment. The spirit does something, and it resonates within your life. And you're like, I have an anchor. I have a truth. And it transforms your life. It's revelation. This is why we should never put this down. So here we go. Verse 22. These are not holy scripture. These are not just mere sayings. These are holy. They're powerful. They're alive. They're eternal. They're timeless. Mo Verse 22. Moses said, and begin, Peter begins to share in his sermon. Moses said, the Lord will rise up for you, a prophet like me from your brothers. Hmm, interesting. Whenever you hear something like that, Moses isn't bragging. He's not trying to get like a real deep pat on the back here or, 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 or like a little like a brag. He's saying that, listen, there's going to be a prophet like me. And what did Moses do? Whenever you hear something like that reference, you got to go, well, what, what was Moses like? Well, he was a prophet. Moses was someone who was called. And also Moses was someone who led a people from slavery to freedom. And Moses was this link between God and man, his people. And Jesus is that for us. This is why it's so important when you read it to slow down for a second and go, hmm, who was Moses? Out of bondage to freedom. And it says, you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul that does not listen to him shall be destroyed from the people. Now, there is an image that was used from the people in the desert when they were being bitten by these snakes because of their murmuring and their complaining. And these, these venomous snakes were biting them and killing them. And then Moses erects the staff of the image of the actual thing, the snake. And then what he said was, when you are bitten, you need to look at this pole and you will be healed. If you do not, you will die. This is the imagery that is used about Jesus, that we look to him or we will die. We will ultimately die and remain dead in our spiritual condition. Your life depends on your response. I can't make it sound any sweeter or nicer. <laughs> your life depends on your response to looking at Jesus. It's why it's so important that, that, that he fulfilled all of these prophecies, right? Jesus, Jesus validates the very word of God by fulfilling these prophecies. Um, listen, you, you cannot prophesy in the middle of something and say, See, I, 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 I believe this. I knew this would happen. That's not a prophecy. You're in the middle of it. These prophets have been doing this for centuries and centuries to this moment where Jesus would fulfill them all. That's when you know someone is prophesying correctly. Oh, you don't believe me? Deuteronomy 18, 21 through 22. The, the few verses down from what Peter is quoting. It says, And if they say in their heart, how may we know the word of the Lord has right, not spoken? 
And he says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, Moses is saying, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. Pretty clear, right? And so that Jesus has fulfilled all these prophecies is meaning that what was spoken was true. And Peter's reminding them that it was true. Now, let's just go into these last two things, because I might be able to do this. I, I'm super, super happy right now. Okay, verse 24. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel, remember Samuel, he's the one who anointed Jesus. He's considered the kingmaker prophet. So this is important that he's being referenced. And those who had come after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant of God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and Abraham, Father Abraham, you can consider Abraham the seed of God's promise to covenant and salvation to the world. Abraham being the seed, and then Israel being the manifestation of that seed. But then listen to what he says. And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So from the seed, the promise to Abraham, to the promise to the whole world, to the, this forest, from this one seed, this one promise. And Abraham, his, his uh, salvation essentially was attributed to his faith. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning everyone from your wickedness. The word is God's promise of salvation, redemption, and life. All of his word was pointing to this moment. And Jesus fulfilled them. And I would ask, but how intimately connected are you with Scripture? I was speaking with someone the other day, and they were, I said, why do you read this Bible? I'm like, why is this such a big deal to you? And they were taken aback for a second, but then had a very clear answer. This has saved their life. And when they explained how, I was like, yep, I understand why. It is life for you. It is your anchor. How intimately connected are you with Scripture? This is why Peter was so bold in proclaiming the prophecies. Because he was very anchored. These last two things are very basic. When the gospel is being delivered, when Scripture is being revealed to you in a revelation, right? You're called to rethink. You're called to repent. You have a choice to make. These are the decisions. One, you can reject it. Some will close the door to the gospel or even oppose it. That happens. Luke 8. It's not on the screens. I'll just tell you about this parable. In Luke 8, Jesus says that there was a farmer who would go out and he would scatter the seed and he would put it out on the road and everywhere. And this and the seed, some would it would go on the ground and then some would trample over it by foot. And then these birds would come down and eat the seed, meaning the good news, the gospel, the truth. And then some it would it would land on rocks and they would grow for a second, but there was no water there, so they would die. And then some would go on these in these thorny areas and they would grow and the thorns would choke them out. But some in good ground. They would grow and they would thrive and they would produce a hundredfold. We're seeing this happen here. And we'll see it in a second. So some will reject it. Some will hear the truth and say, I hear it, but I will not follow it. And that's their choice. And it's their responsibility. 
Verse 4, here's where the rejection comes. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, meaning the security of the temple, and the Sadducees, Sadducees were wealthy people who were politically and politically connected and motivated, mostly, mostly families. They were there, part of Jesus' crucifixion, came upon them, and they were greatly annoyed with their teaching to the people, proclaiming in, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead meaning in him the hope of resurrection. And they arrested them. They put him into custody the next day. And then you read this, for it was already night. Oh, now I know why they arrested him, because it was night. People were dispersing, and then they were afraid of the mob, and then they arrested him, and they put him in jail. So some can reject, but then some, where we get the last R, received it. And that's why you're here. You heard the truth, you heard the gospel, and you received it. And this is very clear in every gospel presentation throughout Acts, and in our gospel presentation, there were some who will hear, and they will reject it, and there were some who will receive it. When you're reading scripture in your own time, or even aloud, there are some who will hear it with spiritual ears and receive it, or they will reject it. It is your choice. And it goes on, last verse, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. That is a very, very good sermon. (laughs) But you know what's funny about it? It wasn't Peter. God drew those people, too, with the miracle of the lame. He draws the crowd. We can put on wonderful things and try to do the most. We build this build. We can do all those things, but it will never be that that draws people. It will be the Holy Spirit, and God draws the crowds as long as we are willing to deliver the message. And not just me, us. We will do it. You can bow your heads. The gospel is this. It makes you rethink life. It brings renewal and refreshing and revival. Calls out calls you out to repent and turn to God. Our hearts respond through the revelation of Scripture and what the Spirit is doing through that in Jesus. And you will either receive it or you will reject it. That is the very basics of the gospel. My encouragement to you, there's always going to be a moment of decision. There is no greater decision than this decision. You... God is speaking to you and he is calling you and the gospel is pulling your heart. Respond to the decision. You can reject it or you can accept it and receive it. But the gospel will be proclaimed for a season and that season will end. And so when you walk out today, I want you, all of you, to have that same burden that the world needs to hear the gospel. And how wonderful are the feet of those who deliver the gospel to them. And that will be you. God will bring the people. You just got to be ready for the message. Just like Peter was. And if you're here and you feel like God tugging on your heart, come find me afterwards. I would love to pray with you um, in that moment and um, start the process of walking through what it looks like for your faith. I'll be right down here. There's lunch will be waiting. Starting that journey is important, so find me or the person who brought you. They're very qualified to, to, to be in that process with you and disciple you. I believe in our church to be able to do that. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you, God, as we get ready during this last song to come down. And like we said, 
two weeks prior to break bread together, that this is the moment that all of us here acknowledge that we do not exist without you, Jesus. Your death, your burial, your resurrection is by your broken body that was atonement for our sins, and it is by your blood that washes us clean, blots out our sin, and we are in right standing with God. And salvation and eternal life in you is possible. And so, God, I thank you, the communion table, the great equalizer, that we all hunger and thirst for you. And let this be a moment where we thank you and remember you for that, Jesus. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me?